0: episode 225 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 10th of April 2023. I'm John, and with me are Phelan, Ali, Graham, good evening, and Will. Hello! Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Graham, Logitech Media Server. This sounds like it's going to be like Jellyfin or something, but it's not quite as exciting.
1: Well, it's not quite as exciting. I really love Jellyfin, but it's better in some ways. And what's remarkable is that it's better and it's like, I don't know, 25 years old. So Logitech, media server used to be run by a company called Squeezebox back in about 2003 and they made these amazing music streaming devices with a plasma display and digital output and I had one of these and you'd rip your music collection to a hard drive and then stream music to one or two of these things around the house and the server software was the bit that created a database out of your music and then created a an API for the client to read and also a web interface for you to control it remotely. And it still does this. It's not changed very much since then. But Logitech bought the company, as Logitech does. A few years later, it kind of dropped the company. But the server's always been open source. And those hardware units have been replaced by software emulators. Um, There's one called Squeezebox Lite or Soft Squeeze. Um, You can get the client in Kodi and OpenElec. And you can run it from the command line on a Linux client. So I still have a huge, mostly legitimate music collection. <laughs>
2: I think you're supposed to say completely legitimate, Graham, for God's <laughs> sake. I've got a load of
1: bootleg recordings, so I'm, you know, I don't care. Those things you know, deserve to be listened. And of course, you can't stream them anywhere. But the great thing about Logitech Media Server, it should be called LMS because Logitech haven't had anything to do with it for a long time, is that it's still being developed. There's still a really active community behind it. And while the web UI, for example, looks like it's from 2008, people have created a material design version so it looks super slick. You can integrate the clients on your phone and you can run them on high-quality DACs. And it's better than Jellyfin for accessing music because it's quicker. But most importantly, maybe for people like me, I organize, even though I've got, I don't know, 100 gig of music, I've organized it all by folders in categories. And I like to browse my music collection by those folders that I've created. Jellyfin doesn't let you do this. MPD doesn't let you do this, as far as I know. And I'm still running that somewhere. There's another one that I tried. Plex doesn't let you do this. With LMS, you can use the folder view if that's what you prefer. You can use the search view, the, the genre view. You can do all of that. And it also has a plugin system that still works. It still works with Lib Spotify if you're on a there-to-do bit arm, but you can get it to work with login credentials on later versions. And if you're in the UK, something you haven't been able to do for ages with third-party apps is access the BBC podcasts and streaming outside of their app. So you can access whatever you might happen to listen to on the BBC, legitimately through the LMS plugin system. It feels austere, but it's still bang up to date when it comes to access, letting you access your music. It also doesn't bother converting the sound. So if you store music digitally with FLAC, for example, without compressing it, I mean, and you have surround formats that you don't want to be re-encoded, you can push the digital data out from that. It won't touch anything like that. You can also stream to a client just in a web browser by adding the stream.mp3 URL to the, the front end. It's super versatile. It's really efficient and quick because it's old and it's still a brilliant piece of software.
0: So it will do either uncompressed or it will do transcoding on the fly then?
1: It may do transcoding on the fly if you use that stream.mp3 URL, but it's not built to do that like Jellyfin is. So it's basically assuming that you're able to push out the format that you're using to play.
0: And what can connect to this then?
1: You can connect to it with a web browser and play music through the web browser. There are free clients on Android... There are command line clients for like a Raspberry Pi where you just run the client and it pops up as another client in the web interface and then you can just push music to it. You can sync between multiple clients so you can have a client in the kitchen with a couple of speakers, you can have a client in the living room with a couple of speakers and get them two to be synchronized with one another or you can split them up. With certain Android apps, you can even stream your music remotely to them like you could with Jellyfin or with Plex.
0: What about your sort of uh, Amazon speakers and that? Does it support that?
1: I haven't tried that. You could probably, if you've got a screen device, you could probably use the web browser to do the stream.mp3 URL. But yeah, I've not tried that. I mean, you
2: weren't kidding about it being old because I took a small screenshot, which I posted into our chat, of the juxtaposition of a four days update versus an 18 years ago update. But
1: the good thing is there is a remote control for it in uh, F-Droid. So happy days. There's still people patching it and updating the plugins. There's a couple of forks, and it's a bit weird to know which version's the latest version, but we'll put the link in our podcast notes.
3: Logitech's a mad company, isn't it? They seem to have tried so many things over the years and. Ultimately, they just seem to sell speakers. But I was looking for a new office chair, and there's a blooming Herman Miller Logitech collab thing <laughs> where you can buy a special gaming chair, which makes you better at gaming if you sit on it. And I, why are Logitech like poking their noses in there? It's just bizarre.
1: Yeah, I've, I mean, I've got their Harmony remote, which I think I've had probably for ten or fifteen years, and it's brilliantly configurable if you've got lots of devices to send remote signals to, and they've disbanded that whole project as well i have got a a set of logitech speakers
3: on my desk it's like two tiny little speakers and a small sub under the desk and i bought that probably 15 years ago and it still works perfectly i don't think i could buy a set of speakers that would last that long these days it just seems to be luck i think with
2: logitech like some of their stuff is really good and some of it isn't well i've got the k400 plus keyboard and touchpad thing stop embarrassing yourself with that terrible keyboard please no i don't care i don't care it's cool all right membrane boy uh, some of us yeah. have got a real logitech <laughs> keyboard and a logitech mouse and have had many many logitech mice before that and a lot of them have lasted like ridiculous lengths of times and uh, actually my speakers are too oh that's disturbing i didn't realize that <laughs> my speakers are as well i think for my uh tv in quotes I need to get that thing running then. It's a shame it's written in Perl, though. I mean, what Perl is it written oh. in, Graham? <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, it's
1: true. <laughs> is it not written in Parrot now or whatever the heck it's called? I think Perl stuff will carry on running forever, at least.
0: Well, one of the uh, most useful bits of software for backing up your files, Sanoid and Syncoid, that's all written in Perl because Jim's old. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, the first UBlue or Universal Blue image is out. So... If you have heard of George Castro and his mission, his evangelical mission to spread the word about immutable file system distros like He's wrong. Fedora Silverblue, uh, look, shut up, shut <laughs> up. I know you are not into it, but if you are into it, then definitely check out uBlue. It's uBlue.it. And this is a community project that he has been leading, and it's essentially a hot-rodded Silverblue. That's the idea, because there's certain things that Fedora can't put in. Like, for example, they can't spin images with the NVIDIA drivers baked into it for gaming and stuff. Whereas, because this is an independent project that's small, they can get away with stuff like that. And the idea is it's kind of value-add on top of Silverblue. It's all a little bit alpha at the moment, but they've got various options within this image to get different desktops the xfce was pretty nice it was like in the whisker menu but apart from that it was all good and so if you're into this sort of thing this modern way of doing a desktop that's using cloud technologies then definitely give it a go
2: and uh him need not apply i suppose (laughs) yeah if you want the sort of broken image of apps you can't uninstall just like your mobile phone you too can have them with on your desktop now now, I know that you're down on this, failing, but there is this whole movement of people who are into
0: it, and they seem to be sort of coalescing around this project, seemingly. The, the people who are not necessarily looking to use it as a daily driver, as just an end user, but people who are looking to help develop it. It's kind of the cutting edge of the immutable file system distros, as far as I can see. I know you have your problems with it, and it's not something I'm going to use day-to-day yet, Not for a while, probably. But we need these enthusiasts. We need people to push it forward and iron out all the problems with it. Like the (laughs) read-onlyness? That's a feature, not a bug. That's not a good feature, though. That is a bug. Well, anyway, check it out if you're interested in that sort of thing, if you're not a miserable bastard like (laughs) failing. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24 7 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks, like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late-night Linux.
2: him, Clark. Yeah, so... The CAA has a podcast, which I've obviously been tracked through by listening to that, and I thought, you know, that's not even remotely dodgy enough. I'm now going to give them my login details for an e-learning server that they seem to be having many courses on. So, uh, yeah, Clark is, they say, securing the nation through education. I'm not actually part of that education, so I'm clearly a target. But it is a series of courses on things like how to spot island hopping attacks and things like that now this stuff is really hardcore like you're not gonna sit on this and go oh this is really fun to watch YouTube video it is not is it a very dry and dire doc x file that you get and a bunch of courses but they are proper stuff and it does go really deep and into it and I think you could be able to use this as part of a lesser sort of maybe web course that somebody else might be running. Whereas at least, you know, this is the real people that are doing this. I wouldn't say it's going to be very capturing of your attention if you were to just purely do this because you would, it's like reading like serious coursework and a bit painful, but it is nice that it exists. That's not to knock any of the people who created these things. But yeah, some of them are a bit like, back at school. But it's still very, very huge levels of stuff that's in there. It's crazy the amount of stuff they have. And uh, for anybody who's interested in cybersecurity stuff, yeah, definitely a thing to look at.
0: All right, and SniffNet, which sounds a bit like what
2: Will was talking about a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, this thing's quite fun. It's a bit of a, well, I won't say cartoony, but it is a more user-friendly sort of packet capture of what's going on on your machine right now what it's talking to and to be honest it really is just throwing a sort of a fun graphic on pcap library but it makes it a bit more user friendly for a standard user i think and uh even the basic graph that goes along with it, it's a way of being able to look at that and go, Jesus, why did that jump up all of a sudden and be able to check what, what was happening right there as a live sort of view on things. Whereas some of them are quite, you know, they're more network engineer level stuff. And, you know, for a standard user, that's not going to be any way remotely useful.
0: And their logo looks like a cross between Heisenberg and
2: Groucho Marx.
3: <laughs> Heisenberg in disguise. <laughs>
2: yeah. Heisenberg. What do you mean? Is this some sort of TV program? I hear it's quite good. Yeah, when you turn it on, it because
0: goes, you will tell people that Breaking Bad is the best show you've ever seen, <laughs> except maybe The Wire.
3: <laughs> I can't tell from the screenshots, but is this a web
2: app, or is it in the terminal, or what? No, it looks like it's a web app. It's actually an X11 app. I don't know what they've used for the, wow. um, for the graphics on it. You usually start off, I, I start off in a terminal at Pseudo, but it is a X11 app that fires up and you do see it as a windowed X11 app that you're then able to click through and stuff. It, it does look very like it's a web application. It's kind of funny. That's why I say it kind of has this almost cartoon like mm. lower res look to it. But I think that's on purpose to try and make it a bit more friendly. Mm. But um, yeah, useful tool, especially if you want someone else to use it. And you want to moan about Dell machines again? No, not again. This is I was Lenovo Machines last time. Dell machines now. Oh, right. <laughs> Dell <laughs> Dell can go and fuck right off as what they can because I got a another spare machine, which I was then making use of a replacement for my off-site backup box, which absolutely blew itself to bits. So I had two I think there are five terabyte drives that I was gonna stick into this box. I had a, a drive for the OS and had these, and then I looked and the OptiPlex box has its own caddy mounting system which is this horrible plastic sort of gripping thing that wraps around the standard drive and then clicks it into a a lower bay but you can't mount it with screws well you could if you use ridiculous screws and a set of bolts or something like that so i was losing the plot with that i thought of all different ways i was going to like machine a bit of aluminium that i had saved from an old case that i was going to bolt the whole thing in and then i realized I'll just go on Amazon and see if there's any five and a quarter inch bay things that can work. And yeah, I got that working that way. So companies that create their own proprietary way to hold drives or bloody motherboards with the wrong set of pins on them, just stop. And I'm going into a HP server tomorrow, which I'm going to have to put some new drives into and see if they work. So I'll be bitching about them next time. <laughs> Will, you be key manager.
3: So a while ago, I mean, maybe... 10 years ago or something, I got my first YubiKey and it was a USB like thumb drive sized thing that you shove in the USB port and press the button and it types in a code, much like Google authenticator or one of those, um, six digit numbers that you get via a text message when you need to like authenticate your credit card or something. And I thought that that was more or less the state of the art and that nothing much had changed. But I'm very, very wrong on this and seemingly been living under a rock for a few years. The state of the art has moved on quite considerably and so i have got now two new YubiKeys. keys i've got a nano which plugs in the usb port and it barely sticks out the side just little gold bit of metal that pokes out at like two mil or something out the side of your laptop and also a um oh, i don't know what it is bluetooth or rfid or something some sort of wireless one that i can use with my phone it works by magic i don't know but The interesting bit is the Nano one, which plugs in the side of your laptop, stays there all the time, and when you need to do two-factor authentication to a relatively modern web service like AWS or GitHub, I'm sure some banks support it, none of the banks I use do, but it's something that is built into the browser that knows how to talk to these devices and prove that you are there by touching the button on the side of them. So far, so normal. The problem with these is that when you have this tiny thing plugged into the side of your laptop, as soon as you brush it, it types a whole load of garbage into your terminal or your (laughs) IRC channel or your Slack channel. And you know everyone laughs and it's all a good laugh, but it's flipping annoying when you've got this tiny little thing and you've got a laptop on your lap and you keep knocking it and it keeps typing shit in and you keep finding it in places you didn't expect to see it. So I was complaining to my colleagues at work about this and they said that I was using it wrong. And the mode that the key comes in by default is one-time password mode, which is where it types the magic secret number that changes based on time. That is old school and nobody uses that anymore, nor should you use it. You should use the other thing, which is whatever it's called, where the browser, for example, tells the YubiKey, okay, turn on and check that there's somebody there. And then the YubiKey starts flashing and you press it and then it happens. And if you press it the rest of the time, Nothing happens. It doesn't type a whole load of crap into your terminal. Really, really useful. And the way in which you need to switch to that mode is with YubiKey Manager from Yubico. It's an open source project. It's written in Python. You can download it. You can look at the source code. And basically, all you need to do is turn off one-time password mode on your YubiKey. And hey presto, life is sweet. All of these web services, all the browsers know how to talk to it, and it's just a much better experience. So, if like me, you are well behind the times, but you've got a modern YubiKey, check out YubiKey Manager and try and switch mode, try and turn off one time password mode and just use the
2: modern way of doing things. But maybe I like typing in passwords and keys <laughs> with time based <laughs> protocol. Thing me, Bob. And so this is just a CLI thing then?
3: Yeah, it's dead easy to use. It's got a couple of switches, a couple of options. You can get really deep into this if you're so inclined. I think you can store like um GPG keys in it and, and stuff like that. But that's just too advanced for me. But I'm sure that some of our listeners know more about this. But you can do some really advanced stuff with it. And YubiKey Manager makes it pretty easy Um at cross-platform, open source, all good things. But yeah, just generally speaking, though, If you haven't refreshed your knowledge of
0: two-factor authentication in the last 10 years or something, do. Do check it out. On to a bit of admin, then. First of all, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to send in your feedback, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide, and Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero-trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices might be logging into your company's apps because there's nothing to stop them. Collide is a simple device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash late night Linux to learn more or book a demo. That's kolid ecom slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. First of all, thanks to Chris from Linux After Dark and Poppy for helping with Doom Linux. I did get that going in the end. Huh. It turned out that to get it going in Vert Manager, you had to set the output to VGA instead of Vert Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I should have thought of that, really, with it being so old school. And uh, Popey said that if you want to build it on newer versions of Ubuntu, you've got to change the kernel version and stuff. So uh, it's all pretty straightforward, anyway. So, yeah, thanks to both of them. Gary says In episode 205, we'll mention T Shark, which is a great tool. While this wouldn't work for his specific situation, I find myself using NGREP for a lot of text-based protocols. It outputs to your terminal, and as its name suggests, you can give it a pattern to only show packets that match.
3: I've never heard of NGREP before, so I've just gone and looked at the Wikipedia page for it. It looks similar to TCP dump in that you can give it a relatively free-form expression, like from this port and this protocol, and then it just dumps that um, the, the packets that match to the, to the terminal. It looks really
0: useful, lightweight, and flexible. So, yeah, definitely looks like a good tool. And Christian said, you mentioned that you want rsync to show progress. key does exactly that. See the demo vid on the GitHub page. It's just a wrapper and uses rsync underneath, of course. Now, this was all sounding pretty nice until I got to the installation part where it said PIP3 install. And I was like, I'm just not dealing with that. I mean, I get it if you have a lot of Python stuff, but I, I just, I, I don't want to be dealing with PIP. I don't know why, but just make a snap of it or something. <laughs> I don't but it does look cool. Have an actual progress bar for us, I think, because otherwise, you just sometimes you're just waiting around, you just got no idea. Even with the V flag, you've just got a big list of stuff, and you've got no idea is this going to take five minutes, is it going to take five hours? So, a good tip. I'll put a link in the show notes. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. Plasma Mobile catch up is first.
2: This is the last month's work, it seems like it should be more than that, but they have been busy, they poured everything to six. They're doing a new system daemon that is looking after settings, so you don't need to include a lot of the KWIN stuff. They also have a new audio overlay to improve performance. There's a new task switcher, which renders previews quicker quick settings and hotspot they've got improved interfaces and a, an amazing thing of a missed calls in the dialer which is obviously a handy thing you might want to know about and there's a whole lot of apps audio tube has got new better improved performance and a new interface with a play queue contact book as a whole the new fields ariana Tokadon, NeoChat, on neo chat plasma tube the calendar and casts All have been improved and it's really good. And I really want to get hold of a phone that could run it because maybe it's not quite there yet, but it really, the amount of effort that's still going on, it hasn't faded and it seems to be going on really well. So yeah, might have to do that. Can your 3T run it? I don't know. I think I half remember seeing something about it. So like I am kind of looking at getting a new phone because my battery is starting to fade below a de- I can still get a day out of a phone, but I, I definitely need to make sure I charge it at night time. And, you know, it's from 2018, I think, you know, so it's five years old at this point. It's ridiculous. And I would like to get something that's getting more updates and is kind of may- maybe benefit, if it's an Android phone, to benefit maybe from the kernel stuff. That's, you know, where Google forced the manufacturers to kind of play ball a bit better with the upstream kernel so yeah, I maybe I can I can switch the 3T to this and maybe I can get a better phone for myself. We'll have to see, though. All
0: right, and various utilities. One that I read as Ketchup Lab,
2: which is not. is <laughs> K-Tech Lab. Yeah, K-Tech Lab. I've never heard this before, but I thought Will might be interested in this. It's uh, all about microcontrollers and mm. electronics and designing circuits and stuff and programming all sorts of picks and God knows what. And it looks quite cool. I mean, I have zero skills in this, so I just backed away from it.
3: I've just been clicking through a few screenshots of it. It looks kind of old school, but I quite like it. I might, I've never heard of it before, but I, I will poke around. Maybe it can be a discovery in future.
0: Mm. All right, and ISO image writer.
2: Yeah, well, Jim bitched and moaned about Rosa Writer, which he was down to me about, oh, this looks like it's Russian developers and all sorts. So I was like, all right, all right. Uh, hopefully they can get... I'm sure that was just a case of needing to update it. And yes, ISO Writer is essentially you know, for writing images to the USB stick or DVD drive, whatever. And yeah, so that's there. Just placate Jim. It is no longer Rosa Writer is the main thing. A pile of snaps for Graham. Yes, lots of snaps have been snapped, KD style. Krita, Parlay, Kate, Ocular, mountains of them. And the great thing about this is the fact that Scarlett was looking for work and Canocle sponsored this work to give her a few months of work doing all the snaps. So I think that's pretty good. It's a win for everybody. Uh, More snaps for everybody else. And uh, yeah, I think that's quite cool. Krita yearly report. Yeah. So uh, Krita has a bit of a catch up. They tried to go through the last year trying to improve on things. They identified their competition, which is mainly Clip Studio, which I've never heard of. Obviously some sort of painting app, because as they say, they don't really compete with the likes of Photoshop because it's not really a painting thing. But they made a list of various things that they wanted to improve where they had deficiencies. It's quite a long list to Get let people go through. But I also uh, worked on assistance for helping people with various types of drawing, The improved the welcome page, poured it over to QML, did a big overhaul of the audio support and animations. I did not even know it did that, but there you go. And they got their first corporate sponsor from Intel, which is nice to see them ship a bit of cash to the projects and uh, loads of bug fixes. And uh, it's quite good. And as we all know, Credit is also in the Microsoft store. So we're taking all their money too. So that's great. <laughs> all right. And porting of the Plasma widgets to Qt6 is going well. Yeah, it's quite cool. Uh, the vast majority of the sort of default ones that you'll get in Plasma are already ported over. There's a few more that need to go in. I might log a few bugs because I've got a couple of web ones that I use that they've had an issue for ages and I have not reported it. So it's all my own fault. But hopefully I can get them Improved by four six, which is good to see. And uh, we also have a couple updates from Nate as well. Big fixes in Gwenview: the sleep inhibiting stuff and screen locking for slideshows. Eliza's got better focus for the star stuff. They've made improvements to the dialogue boxes for things that were a K dialogue. They don't now spit out K dialogue at the end; looks ugly. Lots of paper cuts, and they've been working hard on the flatback stuff where the permissions and the portal improvements have gone in there and speed ups too. When there's a load of updates. Chrome has also got fractional scaling when it's something or other to do with something when it's in Wayland. I don't know. I guess people at high DPI screens probably go, yes, this is brilliant. I need that. So that's a non-KDE fix that went in that has helped everybody. So that's great. Kate has got a load of clickable links and files now for uh, addresses and stuff. Dolphin's got a pseudo helper, so you don't, If you try and run it with sudo, it says, no, that's a really stupid thing to do. Here's a better way to deal with that. And right to left layout and focus has improved, which is cool for people who have a right to left language. Uh, You can't think of one right now, but Arabic. Arabic, that's one. Yeah, I'm sure there's loads of them, but yeah. And they fixed scrolling for over the various things like the audio media player battery and the brightness thing where you can scroll up and down for change of volume or brightness settings. You know, just wee things like that. And the multi-monitor stuff, headless KVMs uh, where you were flicking between them. Apparently, there's a device that did this fake EDID. I guess it's ID of the screens and stuff. They fixed a the whole bug. That was a bit of a nightmare with that one. So lots of fixes have gone in. It keeps progressing. My high-priority bug is still there. So I get to whinge about that one into the bug tracker more. Uh, maybe they'll fix it by next week.
0: <laughs> right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. Remember, show at latenightlinux.com if you want to send in your uh, feedback. We'll be back next week when it'll probably be loads more positive news. But we'll have to see how that works out. But until then, I've been Joe. I've
2: positively been failing. <laughs> I still am Graham, and I've been Will. See you later.